Awesome. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. So glad that you guys could be with us outdoors this morning. And man, it is gorgeous this morning. It is perfect outside for uh, to gather for worship together. Uh, I'm, as well, uh, it is a perfect morning to open God's Word. I suppose every morning is perfect for that, but I'm glad to do it this morning with you guys. Uh, we are in the middle of a series walking through what are referred to or what are known as in the Gospel of John as Jesus's I Am statements. And in each of these statements, Jesus is revealing something about who he is. We began our study back in John chapter 8 a few weeks ago and talking about how in each of these I am statements, Jesus is explicitly and deliberately declaring and identifying that he is God, that he is the great I am. He, he is the same God who had revealed himself to Moses all the way back at the burning bush and who commissioned him to rescue his people out of slavery in Egypt. And now in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, that God has come to rescue his people from their greater slavery, not to Egypt, but, but instead to Satan and sin and death. But hopefully what you've noticed in the past few weeks if we've, as we have studied uh, these passages is that Jesus isn't just saying that he's God in each of these I am statements. He is also, he's also revealing something specific about the kind of God he is, about the kind of rescue that he has come to bring his people. And so this morning, as we take a look at the fifth of these I am statements, what we're going to see is that the rescue that Jesus has come to bring, it is an, an, an escape from the otherwise inescapable enemy of death. And as we'll study, as we'll see as we study, it's an escape. The escape that Jesus is for us is not just a future promise. It is also a present reality. It is a future promise and a present reality. And the only way to experience either of those things is through faith in him and faith in who he reveals himself to be. And so, with that in mind, I'd love for us to pray, and we will dive into our passage this morning in God's word. Excited to be with you. God, we are thankful to gather this morning. We are thankful that we get to be uh, in your world, in your creation as a community, and so we come together with grateful hearts. Um, God, we also come together recognizing that uh, we need you desperately. We need you to reveal yourself to us through your word, by your spirit. And God, we just say like, without that happening, we, we don't have, we can't understand you rightly. We can't know you rightly. We can't respond to you rightly. And so God, we come dependent on you this morning that you might show yourself to us. And so we might be able to respond in faith to who you are and to live new lives in light of it, Jesus. And so we pray that towards that end, that, that you would uh, enable that to happen this morning. God, for our good, for your great glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are in John chapter 11. You can find it on the inside of your little handout if you want to follow along, or if you just want to listen to my beautiful, soothing voice, you can just listen along as well. We're in John chapter 11. It's a bit of a long one this morning, but it's a good one here. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This is the Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, and he was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And now Jesus loved Mary and her sister, Martha, her sister and Lazarus. 
And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're trying to go back? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After this, he said, that, uh, he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep, and so they told him plainly, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, uh, will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and, and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along also uh, weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been in there for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the clothes, these grave clothes, and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and who had seen what Jesus did believed in him. 
But some of them went to the Pharisees and told him what Jesus had done. And so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. The word of the Lord. There's a, there's a scene at the, after the credits at the end of the second Frozen movie. I don't know how well of you, many have seen it, but it's quarantine, so spoilers are up, right? And uh, there's this scene at the end of the movie after the credits where Olaf is basically summarizing what happened in the movie in this like hilariously abbreviated way. And my kids love this scene. It's probably like their favorite part of the whole movie. And they, they'll, they, they probably love it a little too much. And they'll run around saying this one phrase, they say, Elsa's dead, Anna's dead, Olaf, he cries, or something like that, right? But something about water, having memories, and so everybody returns to life. I don't really know. I haven't paid that close of attention, right? But they, but they love talking about that, and they love repeating that. But, but the reality is that despite how funny that scene is, and despite how much my kids like to quote it, death is not actually we, something we like to talk about. It's not, it's not actually something we, we like to deal with. And when we do, we always try to soften it, or we try, to, we try, to, we try to, to brush it off, or to soften it with humor. We say things like, somebody passed on, or, or they've gone to a better place, or humorously, right? Somebody's pushing up daisies, right? Or sometimes we just don't say anything at all, and you just know in someone's eyes what's going on. You see, but... Def- you see, but the question is, why do we do that? Why do we try to soften death? Why do, why do we try to do that? Well, sometimes we're just trying to do that because we're caring for somebody, trying to care for somebody who's, who's recently lost a loved one. But, but I think more often than not, it's because we are trying to avoid it. You see, we want to avoid the discomfort of death, and we want to avoid the pain of death, and we want to avoid the inevitability of death. We do everything we can to avoid it. We, we take vitamins, we use anti-aging cream, we go to the doctors. These, these days we're wearing masks whenever we're out in public and indoors. We even eat vegetables. We exercise. I mean, we are willing to do anything at this point, right? And we do all of that because deep down what we know is that death is not a friend. Death is an enemy. And it's an enemy that no amount of modern technology and no amount of medicine can ultimately defeat. Those things can put it off for a while. They can delay it for a while. They can help us to avoid it for a while, but they cannot help us defeat it altogether. They can't enable us to escape it in the end. You see, we can't avoid death altogether. We cannot escape it. Apart from Jesus, that is. You see, in our passage this morning, what we're going to see is that Jesus, the I am, the resurrection and the life, we're going to see him claiming that faith in him is not only the way to escape death in the end, but is actually also the only way to truly live now. You see, in other words, Jesus is saying that faith in him not only secures a promise of resurrection on our last day, it also empowers a resurrection reality in our lives today and every day. And so to that end, the passage, it begins with Jesus. He gets word from his friends, Mary and Martha. They're close friends of his, and this family is close with him. And he gets word that their brother, Lazarus, is is really sick. And Jesus' response in verses 5 and 6, it is surprising, to say the least. In verse 5, it says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. And if you're paying attention, you do a double take there, right? Because it says, when Jesus heard that his friend was sick, he stayed two more days. That was the decision that he made. He intentionally stayed where he was. And it says that he loved them. 
So he stayed two more days. And the question is, what is going on there? Because that does not really seem to make a whole lot of sense. Well, we know that Jesus' response isn't just his, it's not just him being callous. It's not him uncaring. Later in the passage, we see him weeping with these sisters. We see him weeping with this crowd. So it's not that he doesn't care about this situation. It's not that he is unconcerned. You see, you only care, you only weep about things that are deeply important to you, that are deeply valuable to you. And so the question is, how could it be loving for Jesus to let his friend die? Everyone in the passage, they have the exact same question. Martha, she says, if you'd only been here, Jesus, then my brother wouldn't have died. Her sister Mary says the same thing in verse 32. And in verse 37, the crowd is mumbling amongst themselves. They say, if this guy could heal the blind, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? And the truth is, yeah. Yeah, he, he could have. Jesus had healed countless people before. There wasn't, something, there wasn't something preventing him from doing it. And so again, the question is why? Why does he wait? Why does he let his friend Lazarus die? What is so loving about that? You see, by the time Jesus gets to Bethany, his friend Lazarus is dead. We're not talking princess, we're not talking princess bride mostly dead. We're talking like all dead, four days in the grave, totally dead. And in verse 14 and 15, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, For your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you might believe. Similarly, in verse 41, right before he raises Lazarus, Jesus is praying out loud to the Father. And he says that he's doing that for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. You see, Jesus could have healed Lazarus. It was absolutely within his power to do so. You see, but, but these sisters and this crowd, you and I, we don't just need to know that Jesus can heal the sick, that he has the power to, to, to heal the sick. We, we need to know that he has the power to raise the dead. See, we need to see that he himself is God. You see, Jesus isn't merely after our temporary happiness. He, is, he wants us to have an abundant and eternal kind of life, which he knows can only come through faith in him. You see, you cannot miss this. Jesus loves us not by keeping pain and suffering and trials out of our lives and out of our experiences. He loves us by revealing himself to us so that we can respond in faith to him. See, the reality is that God knows that sometimes the only way that you are going to see him rightly, the only way you can see him for who he really is, is through the lens of pain and suffering and trial. My friend Jeff often talks about having cancer fundamentally changing the way that he viewed God. That, that there was something about that experience that transformed the way that he understood who God was and related to him in a way that no other experience really could have done and if you asked Jeff, he wouldn't wish that time away or that experience away. And the question is, why? Well, it's because through that experience, Jeff saw God more fully. He saw him more clearly in a way he could not have seen him otherwise. And in seeing Jesus for who he is, there is life that you would never give back. In seeing Jesus for who he is, there is a life you would never give back. 
John Piper, he sums it up this way. He says, don't measure God's love for you by how much health and wealth and comfort he brings into your life or how much pain he spares you. Instead, measure God's love for you by how much of himself he shows you, how much of himself he gives you to know and to enjoy. You see, I promise you that what you'll find is that the view that God wants to give you of himself through pain, through trial, through difficult situations is a view that will always make it worth it. The invitation is to ask God, what are you trying to show me about yourself that I could not see another way? You see, and what Jesus is trying to reveal to himself, to these sisters and to us by letting their brother die, and then by raising him from the dead. It's all summed up in this conversation he has with one of the sisters, Martha, in verses 21 and through 26. Martha comes to Jesus, and she's brokenhearted, yet she's hopeful. And in verse 21, she says to him, Lord, if you would have just been here, my brother would not have died. She says, but I know that even now, that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus responds by telling her, that her brother will rise again. And Martha, like a good Jew in her day, she knows that on the last day that God will come and finally usher in his kingdom and, and will resurrect those who's, who are his people. <coughs> but in verse 25, Jesus basically tells her, Martha, you don't get it yet. Martha, you do not see it clearly yet. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he asks her, Martha, do you believe this? See, Jesus, he tells Martha, you believe that there is this great and glorious day of resurrection coming at the end of the age when God's going to raise all believers from the grave. And he says, you're right to believe that, that that's right. But there's a greater reality, Martha, that you cannot miss. There's a greater reality that I want you to believe in. He says, I am the resurrection itself. Not only do I have power over death, Jesus tells her, he says, I am life itself. I made it. I give it. I am the source of it. And here's the truth, Martha. Your brother is dead and he needs new life altogether. But don't miss this, Martha. You, although you are living, you need a new kind of life as well. You need a new kind of life that isn't, that isn't bound by the inevitability of death. You see, Jesus is telling her that he is exactly what her brother Lazarus needs. But he is also telling her that he is exactly what she needs now as well. He is the resurrection and the life. See, and for those who believe that, for those who would put their trust in him as the resurrection and the life, Jesus says that there, are, that there is a twofold resurrection reality that happens. And the first is that there's a promise of resurrection on the last day. Verse 25, he tells this, <coughs> verse 25, he says to them, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. There's this uh, incredible old hymn that was, that was redone a while ago, and uh, it's called It Is Not Death to Die. And it's just this powerful hymn. It goes like this. It says, It is not death to die, to leave this weary road and join the saints who dwell on high, who have found their home with God. It is not death to close the eyes long dimmed by tears and wake, and wake in joy before the throne. 
delivered from our fears. It is not death to hear. The key unlock the door that sets us free from mortal years to praise you evermore. Jesus, conquering the grave, your precious blood has power to save. For those who trust in you will in your mercy find that it is not death to die. You see that song and the words of that song, they echo Jesus' words spoken here to his friend Martha. He's telling her that faith in him, it utterly changes your future. It completely impacts death altogether. It says, all who believe in him will not die. They will not die an eternal kind of death. And even though they die, they will live. Romans 6.23 says it this way, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Jesus is his claim to be the I am, it is first a promise of future resurrection. But faith in him, the resurrection and the life, doesn't just secure a promise of future resurrection and future life. It empowers a resurrection reality in our lives every day. Jesus goes on in verse 26 and he says, Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You see, the only way to escape death in the end is through faith in Jesus. But the only way to truly live now is through faith in him as well. You see, the inescapability of death, it often causes us to live in fear and worry. It shapes the choices that we make and the lives that we live. Remember the, the first time my kids watched Frozen 2, they were on the edge of their seat. Like they were, they were in knots, right? Like there's some, there's some stuff that happens in that movie. But... But now that they know the end, and they know that death does not win in that story, they watch that movie altogether differently. They watch it without fear. They watch it without worry. They're not concerned about what will happen because they know the end of the story. You see, the same is true for our real lives every day. See, you can be free from fear and worry because you know that death does not have the final word that Jesus does. Revelation 1.18, we see the risen, ruling, reigning, resurrected king of the universe come to his friend John and he says, I was dead and now look, I'm alive forevermore. I hold the keys of death in Hades. You see, when we see Jesus for who he really is, when we see him as the resurrection and the life, it not only transforms our last day, it transforms our every day. Famous missionary Jim Elliot, he once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That is a resurrection reality in view of a resurrection promise. You see, the hope of the resurrection, it changes our lives now and today. It's the only way to actually truly live. And so Jesus, he doesn't heal their brother. Instead, he lets him die so that he can reveal himself to them. And in doing so, he can give them a new kind of life that they both need. But I need you to see this this morning. And see, this passage, this story, is, it's not just the story of a journey from death to life. It's also the story of, a, of the life that led to death which made it all possible. You see, the passage ends with some people responding and saving faith to Jesus. They, they believe in him. They see him as God and they respond in faith, believing in him. 
But others, instead of responding in faith, they go and inform him to the religious leaders. And, and this is the final straw for the religious leaders. They, they've had it. They are done. They think, if, if, this is, if Jesus is doing this, we, we've got to get rid of this guy. There, there is, there's, we have got to put a stop to this. And so they start plotting to kill him. You see, and Jesus isn't dumb. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what his actions are going to trigger. He knows exactly what was going to happen and how these religious leaders are going to respond. And that makes what Jesus does all the more striking. You see, because the reality is that when Jesus decides to raise Lazarus, he is also choosing to die himself. You see, in a sense, what Jesus is doing is he's trading places with Lazarus. You see, and this is the power of the gospel. You see, Jesus not only gives us life, he trades his life for ours. You see, Lazarus was saved and Martha was saved and I am saved and you as well can be saved because Jesus died in our place. You see, the arrows of death that were meant for us went into him. He stood in our place. He took the shot for us so that we not only could escape death in the end, but so that we might truly be able to live now. You see, and that's what we're remembering. That's what we're celebrating when we take communion together. We're reminding ourselves that Jesus' blood, it's his blood shed in our place for our sins. That's the thing that enables us to escape the enemy of death. And it's the thing that empowers us to live resurrected lives now uh, in light of that final resurrection day. You see, communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It does not change your status with him. It does not change your standing with him. It doesn't change how you see him. Instead, it's an opportunity for us to remember to remind ourselves about the person and the work of Jesus, to remember him as the resurrection and the life, the one who has traded places with us so that we might live. And so this morning, as we sing and as we worship, as we remember the gospel together in song, whenever you're ready, I would encourage you, go, come and take communion if you've missed the elements on your way in, they're on the table in the back in a basket and you can grab one and bring it back to your chair. And you don't need to be a member here. You just need to believe that Jesus is God, that he is Lord and surrender your life unto him. But if not this morning, if that's not where you're at, if you are here this morning and you're just figuring out who Jesus is to you and what it might mean to follow him, then I would just want you to hear this. You are welcome here. You're welcome in this community. You're welcome with this people. We are so glad that you are here. But I would encourage you this morning, hold off on taking communion. Instead, come, instead of taking communion, come to Jesus. Receive him. Receive his offer to be your resurrection and life. Believe in him. Receive him. As we take communion this morning, as we sing, I would encourage you, talk with God. Ask him to help you to see him as the resurrection and the life. Ask him to help you to see that reality in a way you have not seen it before. Ask him to remind you of the hope that you have because of his resurrection promise. And ask him as well to empower you to live resurrected lives, new lives, every day in light of that final day. You see, Jesus is God the great I am, the resurrection, and the life. And his reality secures for us a resurrection promise in the future, and it empowers our resurrection reality every day.
So with that in mind, let's pray. King Jesus, we come before you this morning and we are so grateful that you would reveal yourself to us in your word, that you would help us to see you, King Jesus, for who you are, not just one who can heal, but one who can give life, the great God of the universe. And so we ask, King Jesus, that you might, by the power of your spirit, help us to see you rightly this morning. Help us to see you as the resurrection and the life so that we might be able to respond in faith unto you. Not only so that we might have the promise of a future resurrection on our last day, but so that you, by your spirit, might empower us to live resurrected lives, new kinds of lives every day until that one. God, we ask that you would empower us to be that kind of a people. God, so that we might uh, show the hope we have in you, but so that we might also give it to others. God, for our good, for your great glory, we pray. Amen.